Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. So as we begin our teaching time this morning, we just want to make sure that uh, everybody has access to a Bible and our ushers are ready to hand out Bibles to anyone this morning who might uh, need one. Maybe you forgot yours at, at home or you don't have a Bible. You're welcome to borrow one of ours. And I understand from last Sunday, Pastor Phil encouraged people to be here with bells on because we're starting our Marriage Works series uh, this morning, and apparently there are some people that have bells on. Could we hear those bells? Yeah, they actually came with bells on. So, Pastor Phil, you've got to be careful what you wish for. Um, and maybe we should have him speaking this morning so you could bring those bells the whole time or something. I don't know. Well, thanks for being good sports. Can somebody please tell me, if marriage is supposed to be so much fun, why am I having so much trouble? That question was asked to me many years ago when I was a very young pastor and newly married myself, so I really didn't have any good advice to give this person about marriage. I was trying to figure it out myself, but I'll just never forget that day. And here we are, more than 30 years later, and uh, we're still married, my wife and I. And I'm absolutely convinced that it's not usually the big obstacles, the, the huge problems that take the fun out of a relationship. On the contrary, big barriers often strengthen relationships. They often cement people together because you have to work through a crisis. Uh, oftentimes, big barriers strengthen families and marriages and, and work partnerships and, and even churches. The loss of a job, a sudden illness, an unexpected diagnosis. These are the things that often draw people together, make us pull together and make us closer, not further apart. However, it's often the little things that really suck the air out of a relationship and out of a marriage. The slow leaks, not the blowouts, the toothpaste tubes, the toilet paper rolls, the dirty socks on the floor, the dishes in the sink. It's the little things that very often blow up relationships. Turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app to the Song of Solomon. Where's that? Song of Solomon is in the Old Testament. It's about midway in your Bible, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, as some call it. Isaiah, you're too far. Jeremiah, you're too far. You've got to go back to the left. Ezekiel, you're too far. You have to go back to the left and find the Song of Solomon. Not a book that uh, many preachers preach from, the Song of Solomon. The, the two main characters in the Song of Solomon are apparently betrothed. They're engaged to be married, but in the Old Testament, betrothal or engagement meant much more than just 
checking out to see if this is going to work. It was almost like a pre-marriage marriage. So they were committed to each other. And they're introduced to the reader by this, uh, the song of desire that they are singing for each other. In the picturesque language of, of a lover, the young woman in chapter 2, and uh, Sol- Song of Solomon chapter 2, the young woman is singing a song of, of romantic love to her soon-to-be husband. And it's a very intimate scene, one of deep affection and tenderness and romance, uh, which my wife has become very accustomed to. Well, I guess that joke fell flat. Listen to the Song of Solomon, beginning in chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, and they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, arise, my beautiful one, and come away. So what young man could resist that, right? This is a young woman singing to her betrothed husband. And then in verse 14, the young husband replies and says, Oh, my dove, my dove. In the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. (laughs) Now, we don't talk like that too often anymore, but this is the speech of romance, certainly in the Song of Songs. But then out of the blue comes a flashing yellow light of caution. I mean, here comes a warning. That's attributed to the young women of Jerusalem in verse 15. They say, quick, catch all the foxes. Catch those little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love. For the grapevines are blossoming. Just about the time your your love relationship is taking off and beginning to blossom. Here come the little foxes to nip away at the vines and start to eat the budding fruit of your relationship. It's like a, a cymbal crash in the middle of Brahms' lullaby. Their grave concern is that the vineyard, the, the, the growing, developing relationship between this man and this woman not be destroyed by the little foxes, the little things, the toothpaste tubes, the, the toilet paper rolls, the dirty socks. Don't let the little things steal your joy. Don't let that eat away at your relationship. It might be a friendship. It might be an engagement. It might be a work relationship. It might be marriage. The little things are often the same in relationships outside of marriage. So what ruins a good relationship? We're in marriage work series, and I'm speaking in part about husbands and wives, of course, but I hope the the application of some of the principles is broader than that. What ruins a good relationship between a man and a woman? Confusion. Confusion is one of those little foxes. You see, in order for husbands and wives to have a good, growing, healthy, strong relationship. They really need to come to some understanding about their roles and responsibilities in the marriage. 
Who does what, when, and where, and how? We often talk about those things in pre-marriage counseling because those are the little things, the little foxes that often eat the budding fruits. And quite honestly, a lot of young people today are confused because mom and dad are confused. And they pass down their confusion to the kids. Confusion turns up when people begin to abandon the Bible as God's handbook on healthy relationships. The one who created us and formed us really does have some very good ideas on how we ought to relate to one another. How healthy, strong, growing relationships develop. He created us and he's given us some great ideas on how this relationship ought to roll out. His prescription is pretty simple, but pretty straightforward. Love one another. Romans chapter 12. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. We say, that applies to my workplace just as much as it applies to my home. Yes. Relationship principles are relationship principles. Be kind to one another. Submit to one another. Don't lie to one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. You see, the Bible really is God's handbook on developing good relationships. At work, at school, at home, in your marriage, in the church. And when people abandon that, they get confused. Specifically to marriage works and, and the marriage relationship, according to the Bible, a husband's primary role is to, is to love his wife sacrificially, just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You're there to serve her. She's not there to serve you. You're there to serve her and sacrifice for her. Just like Jesus gave himself. He came not to be served, but to serve. If we're going to model our relationship with our wives after Christ, like Ephesians 5 says, we've got a lot of work to do. And according to the Bible, a wife's primary role is to respect her husband and to submit to his loving, servant, sacrificial leadership in the home and in the church as unto the Lord. And you don't have to remind me that this is not popular teaching in our culture today. This cuts right across the, the very essence and fabric of, of 2017. But this is what the Bible says. The culture says this, the Bible says this, and where those two things collide and clash, I will always stand with the Bible. Are you with me? And, and that's just, that's the kind of pressure that we're under these days. That's the kind of pressure that the church is under. Are we going to cave? But many are. 
Many are. And when people abandon the Bible, you see, as the benchmark for life and love, including the passages in Ephesians 5, then confusion slithers into the relationship. You know what else slithers along the ground? Serpents. Genesis 3. That's kind of where it all started. And, and so when we abandon that, then, then husbands stop loving their wives and they stop serving their wives and they get all self-centered and they get all greedy and mean-spirited and they won't ever share the remote, especially on Super Bowl Sunday. And it just goes crazy. When guys stop following what the Bible says about, about the relationship with their wives, then those, those men get stupid. They just get dumb and they get dumber the further they get away from the Scripture. And all the ladies are saying, tell me about it. I know that. <laughs> but when, when, when wives abandon the teaching of the Bible and they stop supporting their, their husbands and stop uh, uh, supporting his leadership in the home, then they, they start to try and usurp their husband's leadership and they, they become critical of him and they, they disrespect him at home in front of the kids and, and even out in public. And they make fun of him when they go with their girlfriends to Starbucks and sit in a round table and lean in and... I can't believe he did this. You know what I'm saying? You get my drift? Follow my thinking? Understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, that happens. But it happens when people abandon the scripture. And so we've got, to, we've got to pull people back. We've got to draw people back. We've got to encourage people back. We've got to woo people back in the church. To really believe that what God says about relationships is true. And we need that teaching. Confusion turns up when people abandon the Bible as God's handbook on healthy relationships. In addition to that, confusion also turns up when people are bombarded by secular propaganda that is opposed to faithful, monogamous relationships and makes fun of marriage all the time. All you, know, you got to do is turn on the TV to find program. You, you don't have to switch too many channels before you find a program that's making fun of marriage. I mean, faithful, godly marriage. <laughs> Television shows, movies, the media, they love to focus on the failure of high-profile relationships like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And then, there, of course, there's Mariah Carey and Taylor Swift and, and Jennifer Lopez and Christy Brinkley and, and the list goes on and on and on, right? They, they love to highlight that stuff. Half-hour programs on the breakdown of so-and-so's marriage. What's up with that? Our culture is fascinated with the disintegration of relationships, not the building up of them. Radio, television, Hollywood, they're all saying the same thing. You know, marriage is old fashioned. Oh, you don't have to have a you don't have to be married to have a family. This is twenty seventeen. Get with it. You you can start a family without marriage. Long term relationships, oh man, that's so yesterday. That's what the culture has imbibed. And they're trying to feed us that story. So if you listen, if you listen to that stuff long enough, you start to desensitize. 
And then you start to believe the lies. And then you start questioning the Bible, the same Bible that you've trusted for nigh on to 20 years now. And before you know it, your relationship explodes. You start to experience what experts call floating anxieties, which is a 50 cent word for confusion. You're just confused about roles and responsibilities. Let's get back to the Bible. So the second little fox is the too busy fox. Being busy can destroy a relationship, can't it? Your marriage, your family, too many relationships and too many marriages and too many families get fractured and then get terminated by hectic, unrelenting schedules that allow no room for relationship building. Man is the only animal that runs faster when he loses his way. Just ask a wife who's had a husband get lost and doesn't want to stop for directions. He just goes down each side road faster and faster and faster. Man is the only animal that goes faster when he gets lost. And the result is increased irritability, frayed nerves, shorter fuses. In Exodus chapter 14, we find the people of Israel caught between a rock and a hard place. They're caught between Pharaoh's hard heart and the Red Sea. Okay, you got the picture? Pharaoh's armies bearing down upon them. The Red Sea's in front of them. They're not, not sure what they're going to do. And they're getting <gasps> uptight. And this is what Moses says to them in Exodus 14, 13. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. What does that even mean in a family with two or three or four kids that, and each one of them is involved in two or three or four sports or activities? Or What, what does that even mean to be still? I'm, I'm, I'm not even still when I'm asleep. You know, we, we've gotten ourselves so incredibly busy. We don't even notice when the relationship is starting to break down. <laughs> what are you talking about? We talked last week. I said goodbye to you before I left for work. Six and a half seconds of conversation in the last 14 days. Too busy. So maybe, just maybe, you need to reconsider a commitment to slow down. Whatever that looks like for you. Re-examine your hectic lifestyle. The too busy fox can take all the fun out of a relationship. But so can insensitivity. Another little fox. Insensitivity. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Now, centuries before the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, the Hebrews had a word for the word fool. And the root meaning of that word fool is the word insensitive or, or dull. So if you're, if you're a fool, that means you're, you're insensitive to other people and you're insensitive to wisdom or teaching. You're dull. You're dull in your learning. You're a fool. So, so Paul comes along years later and uses this same idea. That's what happens here in, in Ephesus. It's, it's a command. Don't be foolish. Don't be, don't be dull or don't be insensitive. Don't be so thick-headed, but rather understand what the will of the Lord is. And if we were to apply this idea to marriage, we might say, or, or to relationships in general, we might say, quit being so insensitive, quit being so inconsiderate to the people that you love. The people you work with, the people that you live with, the person that you sleep with. Don't quit being so insensitive. Don't be foolish. Don't be insensitive. Don't be dull, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I, I, I believe that part of the will of God for us in our relationships with other people is to to really understand and 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 appreciate and even celebrate the differences between us. You know, if you if you only hung out with people that were just like you, life would be pretty boring. So we, we celebrate the differences that are between us and our friends and between us and our our married partner. Men and women are not the same. Have you noticed that? There are differences between men and women. Uh, have you have you noticed that? A book I, re I have referred to many times over the years since I first read it years ago is a book um, called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. Do you know it? It's a book about understanding and delighting in your differences. The husband and wife team who wrote this book uh, use these two illustrations. The first one is, a, is the illustration of a waffle. You know how it is when you look down at a waffle from up above. You've got all these neat little boxes in the waffle. Uh, they're made like that so that they can contain syrup and the syrup doesn't run out over, over your, your, your plate like pancakes, you know. I wish they could make pancakes with those little boxes. But So the syrup goes in there and, and every little box has a nice little wall around it and it's self-contained. And, and that's the way it should be. It typically, it typically, <laughs> <it's> ty <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, that's the way it should be. Uh, and I don't want to be dogmatic about that, but they better fix that. Uh, that's typically how a man processes life, like a waffle. I mean, we got a box for everything. Right, guys? We got a box. We got a box for that. Our thinking is divided up into little boxes. And little is not the operative word there. Our thinking is divided into boxes. And, and there's only one issue in each of those boxes. Okay? I mean, there's you got the work box. And, and you've got the, the football box. And... The one issue goes into one box, the second issue goes into the second box, and so on and so forth. It's all very neat and compartmentalized. And we're good at that. So when a man is at work, he is in his at-work box. 
And I usually get a talking to when my wife tries to call me in the middle of the day and I'm in my at-work box and I answer the phone like I'm at work. Hello? Hi, honey, it's me. What would you like? She said, never mind, we'll talk when you get home. And when he's in the garage tinkering on his car, that's all he's doing. He's in the garage tinkering on his car. When he's watching TV, he's watching TV. That's it. It's not complicated, ladies. And when he's in his nothing box, and every guy's got a nothing box, right? Come on. Say nothing with me, guys. We got a nothing box. And when you're in the nothing box, you're really thinking about nothing. And your wife or your girlfriend comes along and says, Honey, what are you thinking about? You say, and she says, what do you mean? Nothing. You got to be thinking about something. And you say, nope, I'm thinking about. And so you're in your nothing box. And I've been married for over 30 years. My wife still doesn't understand that I have a nothing box. So and when a man is thinking about making love to his wife, that's all he's thinking about. And thinking about and thinking about. And usually that box is connected somehow miraculously to every other box on the waffle. <laughs> That's just the way it is. And a, a man will strategically organize his boxes in a way that he can spend the most amount of time in the boxes where he succeeds. He wants to spend most of the time in the boxes where he's got some success. In contrast to a man's waffle-like process of life, a woman processes life more like a plate of spaghetti, according to the pharaohs. If you look at a plate of spaghetti, you notice there's lots of individual noodles that are all touching one another. That's what spaghetti does. Those spaghetti noodles, every noodle seems to be touching every other noodle. And if you took one noodle on your plate and tried to follow it around the plate, you would notice very quickly that there, there's another noodle that goes across it. And, and, and then you pick it up over here and, and there's another noodle that goes across that. And pretty soon it seems like one noodle seamlessly goes into another noodle. And that's how conversations at my house go. We start out on this noodle for about two or three minutes and then something intersects and I'm, I got it. I follow that noodle. I'm, I'm with you, babe. A couple minutes later and, and she has something else enters the conversation. Oh, and that reminds me that I'm okay. Now, I'm a little less confident now, but I, I'll smile and nod still. Yeah. Yeah. By the time the fourth noodle intersects the first noodle, I lost track of what we were talking about in the first place. Go to the nothing box. Go to the nothing box. Okay. Yeah. Praise God for the nothing box. And she says to me, so what do you think about that? Nothing. nothing? Yeah. That doesn't work, Gord. You, you and I need to have a talk. 
But that, my friends, is how the conversation goes sometimes. And I, I know those are humorous illustrations. But there's, there's a spark of truth there, isn't there? And I, I guess I'm just using those illustrations today to say that if we don't stay sensitive in the relationships that we're in and understand the differences between us and, and appreciate the differences between us and even celebrate the differences between us, it's going to be hard. It's going to be real hard. Insensitivity can take the fun out of a relationship very quickly. So now, before we move to some practical application, I need to cover just one more little fox, and that's called stubbornness. Now, I, I realize that this is a new concept for most of you. <laughs> stubbornness. I'm talking about just plain bullheadedness. You know, the kind of thing that just doesn't make any sense. You know, even while you're pushing back against what she's saying, that you're, not, you're just being dumb. You're just being pig-headed. But you do it anyway. And I don't know. I, I, that takes us back to Genesis 3 all over again. You know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's one of the reasons why we just get stubborn. We get obstinate. Stubbornness can make a home a hell. It really can. But here's what the Bible says, again, cuts across that behavior altogether. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's just let's just land on verse 21 for a moment. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Folks, I think the only way that we can exterminate stubbornness is, is an all-out, complete and full surrender to Jesus. You, you, can, you can, it is possible for, for us to submit to other people in a relationship, in a loving relationship, a growing relationship. It's entirely possible for us to submit to one another, but only out of reverence for Christ. I think that's the operative word, the operative phrase in that in that verse. Out of reverence for Christ, because we revere him, because we worship him, because he's the one who's given us the mandate for a growing, healthy relationship, because he created us, because he brought us together. We do this out of reverence for him because he is my king and my Lord. I'm going to I'm going to submit to to him first and I'm going to submit to you also. A deep, genuine, wholesome reverence for Jesus is absolutely essential for every serious relationship that we have with the opposite sex, especially marriage, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and because relationships, at the best of times, are hard work. They're hard work. And I'm not just talking about marriage. I mean, relationships at work are tough sometimes, aren't they? Relationship with your neighbors can be difficult, especially if they have a couple of dogs that bark into the wee small hours of the morning. That can, that can make a guy stubborn in that relationship. 
Stubbornness turns holy wedlock into unholy deadlock. Incompatibility and anger replace harmony and peace. And anger moves in and happiness moves out. Can somebody please tell me if marriage is supposed to be so much fun, why am I having so much trouble? Back to Song of Solomon. And the very wise women of Jerusalem who cried out, Quick, catch the little foxes because they're going to spoil your vineyard. Often it's the little things that can really suck the air out of your relationship. Maybe you're letting the little foxes steal the fruit of a growing relationship. So what are we going to do? What are you going to do about it? Would you be open to a couple suggestions this morning? First of all, openly admit that you've allowed the little foxes into the vineyard. Maybe you think that goes without saying, but it really doesn't because I talk to so many people who are not willing to admit that they've messed up. Because it's his fault or it's her fault. This is not my fault. It's not my fault that the relationship is broken down. It's his fault. I just want to say, stop denying the truth. Face up to whatever is your stuff in that. You could do better. You could be better. You could invest some more in this. Take personal responsibility. Secondly, identify the concerns that you have by name. Name those issues. So what is the issue? Ah, we're just having trouble. I don't know what the problem is. Dig down deeper and find out what it is. Name it. Nail it. Is it stubbornness? Is it pride? Is it too busy? What, what, is, what is hindering this relationship? Do some homework. Do some head work. Do some heart work. And find out what the issue is. Next, invite the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of healing. Invite Him in. Invite Him in. Let His light guide you. Let Him counsel you with His eye upon you as only He can do. Invite the Holy Spirit to renew this relationship. Restore it. Heal it. Bring greater growth and greater health. More fruits for the glory of God. Healthy growing relationships are really hard work. I've learned the hard way. So have you. It's hard work. So we need help. We can't do it alone. We will never make it if we try to do it all by ourselves. We need God's help every step of the way. Finally, last suggestion. Start today. Don't, don't wait to make a change until the end of the four-week series. Start today. Do, do something today. Have a conversation today. Guys are going, oh, no, not today. No, no, no. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. We don't want to have that conversation today. Pastor, why did you say that? 
That's because we're going to have our conversation tomorrow. Or something like that. Ask the Lord to deal directly with your heart in this. I mean, with your stubbornness, with your insensitivity. Ask the Lord to to deal with your junk. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who just want to blame the other person. Just open your own heart. Say, Lord, if, if I've got any part in this, if I could do anything different to make it better, to make it stronger, then I, that's what I want to do. So, if you sense that maybe the Lord has been speaking to you this morning about our relationship at work or at school, a friend, perhaps, or maybe your marriage, if you sense that God is speaking to you, if you feel that he's putting his finger on something in your life, in your relationship, would you pray with me? Let's pray together. And as I pray, just under your breath, right where you're sitting, if you agree in prayer, include yourself just saying quietly, yes, Lord, yes, amen to that. I, I need that, Lord. I'm included in that. Then, then do that. Enter into this moment where you're planting a flag for the sake of the glory of God in your relationships. We're going to call upon God to, to help us and to hear us. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne of grace today bringing every important relationship and every marriage with us as we pray. Lord, everywhere we look, there seems to be a, a growing number of friends who are discouraged, disconnected, despairing, even dying in their marriages. This makes us sad, but it doesn't really shock us because we know the enemy hates you and he hates the gospel and he hates healthy relationships between God's people and between a husband and wife. Satan is against us. Lord Jesus, most of us came into marriage with just a little gospel and a lot of inexperience. We had no clue about the depths of our brokenness or the degree of our sinfulness or the devices of our selfishness. We had no clue about what a normal marriage was supposed to look like, much less a healthy one. I had a terrible example in my own home. But that doesn't leave me without responsibility. Many of us had no clue about what it what it would take to love one person well for the rest of our lives. And we certainly had no clue that that only your love is better than life. That only your love can satisfy the deepest thirst of our hearts that only your love could offer us the intimacy that we crave for and for which we've been made. You're the only one who can ultimately provide that. Lord Jesus, continue to convince us all over again that love is worth fighting for. It just is. Love is not a fight, but it certainly is worth fighting for. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would protect us and protect our important relationships and our marriages and our homes and our families and our church from the evil one and rescue us from ourselves. Show us how to care for one another in ways that bring you glory and honor. Oh, we need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. 
We're counting on you now more than ever. And we pray all of this this morning in the loving and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.